Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. As I hammered in the last bolt and staggered over the rim, it was not at all clear to me who was the conqueror and who was the conquered. Warren Harding. You know, we like put in a lot of effort to make sure that we could climb this very intense peak safely and we were able to execute on that. So that was like, you know, that feels really good. Like there was there was one kind of incident near the top where where I was was hit by an avalanche and took fall, but but even like you know, I walked away from that, which was awesome. But um even if I had, you know, hurt myself, we had we had like so much experience on the team in terms of rescues and for you know first aid medical stuff that it's like it would have been fine. So um, it would have been a different story, of course. But um, yeah, it was like we really we really put in a lot of effort to like keep it reeled in so that we could feel good about what we were doing versus you know climbing. It's it can be kind of tempting to like push over the edge and like do things that are that are kind of out there. But it's like you know that's not how you become an old climber. I'm Doc. And this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and Renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, Dirt Bags and Hiker Trash. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. This week, we are talking to alpinist, storyteller, climate advocate, and the newly anointed board president of the American Alpine Club, Graham Zimmerman. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod, Graham. How's it going? Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm really happy to be here. And, uh, and I'm, I'm good. It's, uh, I'm in central Oregon right now, and it's kind of the perfect time of year to be here. We've got you know snow in the mountains, and the rock climbing's great. Life is, life is good. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, there is a peculiar American through-hiking tradition of handing out trail names. Doesn't really happen in Europe. Doesn't really happen in other disciplines. Uh, I know that you are an alpinist, not necessarily a through-hiker. Have you picked up a nickname or a trail name out there? It's a good question. Um, yeah, I like not really. I go, I go by GZ a lot, um, which, I, you know, isn't like quite as creative or cool as the uh, the through hiking name, uh, nickname tradition. But uh, 
but that's about as close as as close as I've got. <laughs> All right, GZ works. If you don't mind, I'll I'll, I'll refer to you as GZ. Have at it. It has a flair to it. I like it. <laughs> Obviously, GZ being your initials for any of our listeners who may have missed your name at the beginning. Yes. Okay. <laughs> not, not particularly creative, but <laughs> but it works. It works. <laughs> because if you're if you're out there climbing and there's like some kind of emergency there's a you know a rock falling or you, you need to to blaze you're blaying somebody and there's an, an emergency graham zimmerman that is a lot of syllables to get out right ah, gz ah, is ah. is like immediate i mean you can get your attention right away that's yeah yeah that's true <laughs> okay hey gz have you ever listened to the podcast i unfortunately have not um I tend to listen to political science podcasts, um, which is, you know, not something we need to get into. But uh, I have not listened to this podcast, although I do I do have a lot of friends who are into through hiking, which I really like. It's a it is a culture that I really appreciate. So it's it's, it's really nice. cool to be. So after you have a fantastic experience tonight on the podcast, you can share this with all your friends and let them know, hey, this is a uh, something you should listen to. Hell yeah. Okay. The only reason I ask, I want to make sure that you're aware of a segment towards the end of the episode called the Pro Tip Inside of the Week. And that's where I will turn to you and ask you for some uh, some outdoor adventure wisdom to share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So don't be surprised when we get there. Sounds good. Okay. Give some picks. The must bring gear review. Oh, that's nice. That's uh, that's uh, my youngest daughter, Half Calf. There, introducing the next segment. This is uh, the must bring gear review, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. And here's how it works, GZ. If you were to let your stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day excursion, I'm not going to say hike, it could be, you know, a, a climb. What is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So GZ, what is your must bring piece of gear? Well, you know, in climbing, uh, you're, you're really, you're touching the mountain with your hands and your feet. Um, so that, that tends to mean that your boots and your gloves are the most important pieces of kit. I mean, every, there's a lot of important kit, like in, like in all of these practices, but, uh, but those are the two things that you need to fit really well. You can, if you're ice climbing, you can add crampons to that. If you're rock climbing, it could be rock shoes, but, um, let's see for years, I've been using, uh, boots and rock shoes from a brand called Scarpa, which is based in Italy. Um. They, uh, I think, I mean, I think, I think there's some of the best on the market. Uh, they certainly are for me. And I will say though, that the most important thing is they fit your feet. Right. So that's always like, you know, Scarpa, Scarpa is the best for me. They're fantastic, uh, fantastic kicks. But, uh, but whenever you're looking for shoes, always, always make sure and go try a bunch on and make sure they fit correctly. And then with gloves, I've been wearing outdoor research gloves forever. And they are, I, I really do think they are the best in the industry. Um, yeah, so those are those are kind of the two most important things. Or would you touch the mountain with? Solid, solid reasoning there. That uh, if where you're touching the mountain, that's very important because you want to stay on the mountain. Yeah, you want to stick to that thing. That's yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And you know what? I can't wait to get into uh, climbing talk with you because I have a lot. I have a lot of questions. There are you know we we talk a lot about uh, hiking, through hiking, um, those types of adventures on this podcast, but we are not limited to those, those topics. So this is an adventure outdoor adventure uh, podcast. We've taken many side trips uh, uh, along outdoor adventure, including uh, big wall climbing and alpinism. So I can't wait to hear some more from you on this. So very nice. That. Okay. It's the hiking pole. Okay. So this is now uh, the hiking pole segment, and this will help us uh, continue our talk possibly about gear and other philosophies. And really this is, this, this poll is designed to help me give you a rating, a score from one to a hundred on the sanity scale with 100 being completely sane and one being absolutely bonkers. So okay. got some, some tricky questions here. Let's see if you can navigate them. They right now they are, they are through hiking related or hiking related. If, yeah. if you know, I asked you a question and you have a similar uh, maybe analogy to climbing, maybe we can we could change that question. But let's uh, let's get your initial impressions here. Great. Okay. So on a hike, trekking poles or no trekking poles? Wait, you, you got to remind me of the scale. What's the scale again? Oh no no you you're just you're just answering the question in terms of okay, yes okay. absolutely uh, I would use that or no I would no, there's no way in heck I would do that or you know oh, whatever no. the choice might be. 
Perfect. Uh, I, I definitely use trekking poles. Like, uh, you know, I've spent the last 15 years in the mountains and uh, trekking poles help with your knees. So that's like, I'm, I'm pretty in on trekking poles. Absolutely. Now, just one. I've run into a number of climbers out in the backcountry and they are carrying a ton of gear. So they are, they're doing hiking. They're hiking out there to get to where they're going to do the climb. Right. And there, there is oh, yeah, a hiking sure. component to this. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, you know, like in the Karakoram, lots of times, you know, it's a, it's a, like, it can be a week long walk to base camp. So like, there's definitely a hiking component to this. Right. Uh, okay. And, and my, my investment in Alpine climbing tends to be things that are unclimbed and those are oftentimes far away or hard to get to. So there's, there is definitely a lot of, a lot of walking to get there. Right. Now, I, maybe I didn't mention that there are seven questions, seven questions. So that was the first one, one down. Uh, good answer so far. No, no point go. deductions at this point. So, okay, good. I'm winning. Okay. <laughs> winning. That's right. <laughs> All right. Hey, on the hike to where you're going to climb boots or trail runners. Ooh, uh, you know, you don't, I, cause I, you don't wear, you don't wear your climbing. You're not going to, you're not going to hike in your climbing shoes. Those are not, those are not hiking. That's not hiking. Not, I'm, I'm kind of I think if, if I don't have a big pack on, it's more of a, it's more of a trail runner thing. Now, if you're up in the mountains and you're like walking across glaciers and things like that, then you for sure have boots on. But if I can, if it, if it is conceivable for me to have trail runners on, that's what I'll be wearing. Okay. All right. Now, if you have to do an overnight experience out there before you get to the climb, you're in terms of your shelter, do you prefer a tent? tarp hammock bivy or cowboy camping uh i bring i bring a tent you know in the mountains like I, for me you know there are some things you can do to kind of make sure that you can keep your ducks in a row in the mountains the weather can get pretty bad up there so having a tent that you can hunker down in can really save your bacon sometimes so um so yeah that's i, I tend to always bring a tent with me okay makes sense and i think i know how this next question is going to go based on your previous answers uh, you prefer in terms of your sleeping system, a sleeping bag or a quilt? Oh, sleeping bag for sure. I think the quilt thing's cool, but I, I, I like to be all wrapped up. Are you, do you, do you kind of run warm or run cold? It's a good question. Uh, I think I kind of sleep, sleep pretty, pretty well in the medium, but uh, you know, if we're up on route, I'll bring a really, really light bag. Oftentimes one without a zipper. It's like one of the kind of ultralight things um and uh and i will wear i will oftentimes have uh down socks down pants and a down jacket um with me and so i'll wear those inside of the sleeping bag and that what that allows me to do is then if i'm like also like repelling a route in the middle of the night or something like that and it's real cold then i can actually wear all that clothing um when you know when we're out when we're out in the elements or if it's stormy or if it's just wicked cold and so it kind of makes it so that a bunch of my sleeping kit is actually like more useful it doesn't only come out when i'm when i'm sleeping it's like it gives gets used quite a bit and then you kind of have this like you know ultralight sleeping bag that kind of brings everything together and gives you a little more insulation while you're sleeping yeah when you're up in the mountains it's good to have layers yes and yeah. you mentioned ultralight what uh, in term when, you, when you're doing a big climb what how much are you carrying out there what is the weight of your kit when we're on route um gosh I, I haven't been as much of a weight nerd for a number of years, but like in the realm of like 20 to 25 pounds. That sounds very reasonable. Yeah. I mean, man, if you're going to be like climbing hard pitches, you can't have too much on your back. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. In terms of food out there, this is a very important question. Huge point deduction if you answer the wrong way. So be very careful here. All right, all right. I'm, not, I'm not encouraging you to, to pick what you think is a safe option. I want to hear the truth, but I'm just giving you a heads up here. All right. Copy. So when it comes to food, are you a stove guy, cold soak or stoveless? Oh, I'm a stove guy. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, all the science says that having a warm drink will increase your, you know, your, uh, your mental, your mental state and make you feel better. So, um, and then when it's real cold, it's important. And then the other thing is like most of the places where I'm spending a lot of time, there's not actually any liquid water. So, um, so that's, that's how you get water from, uh, by melting snow and ice. Yeah. GZ, did you just quote science on this, on this answer? Or have there been studies done that you're, you're, you're referring to here? Oh yeah. Yeah, man. That was like one of the original, uh, what was that podcast? Uh, uh, oh, I don't know. The NPR, the NPR science podcast. Oh no, no, now I'm losing my memory. Yeah. But there have been studies done on like, even if it's a hot day, having a hot drink will still increase your mood. Okay. There you go. Science. The man is bringing science into the hiking pool. Fantastic. All right. <laughs> is life better above or below? the tree line 
above. Oh yeah. Easy. Why above? Oh, because that's where the best climate is. For <laughs> <laughs> the right, la- last question in the hiking poll here. What's more important, pack weight or luxury items? Ooh, man, that's 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 a that's a that's a hard question because you know there's there's an old saying in climbing that you can't put a price on morale. So like oftentimes I will um you know if we are en route. Uh, I trim it way down. Um, I trim down wherever possible. But then again, like, man, when I'm in base camp, I will bring a big sleeping pad. I will bring, you know, like I'll bring some creature comforts because, you know, it's like, it tends to be in climbing that you get to base camp and then you're up on route and you don't have enough food. You're not bringing very much kit. You're like, you know, you're, you're, you're up there just kind of hauling ass. And, uh, and then when you get down, you need to recover, particularly if you're going to be like looking at multiple climbs. So it's kind of like, you got to be able to oscillate between ultralight and going super hard and then being able to recover effectively. And so to recover effectively, like having, having a sleeping pad, that's a little bigger, having a, you know, having a fresh, a couple of pairs of fresh socks, you know, that kind of stuff can like really, really make your day a lot better. So I'd say like somewhere in between. Okay. Now follow up question to that. Uh, you, you mentioned, um, ultralight and weight and, and being able to haul ass. Are you, are you the kind of guy that drills a hole, drills holes in your toothbrush to allow, so you can, you can save those grams to bring grams of luxury items. Yeah. Sometimes like on, on route for sure, like cutting holes and like cutting off bits of your toothbrush or maybe just not bringing a toothbrush. Um, not bringing like, a toothbrush. Awesome. It's like, like two days. Right. Uh, it's like not always that long. Um, so yeah. So I like, like once again, kind of on route, like, you know, you're trimming it down as much as possible. Um, there's a lot of stuff you have to bring. There's a lot of ropes and gear and, um, you know, safety equipment. And then if you're going to sleep on route, you need a full sleeping system and a stove and all that kind of thing. So, um, and, uh, and so it's like, you know, um, uh, like you got it, you got to really trim down where you can. Okay. Hey, let me do some quick math here to tally up your score. I'm going to carry the three. I'm going to divide by, see the root of two, uh, multiply by pi, and we're going to adjust for the atmospheric pressure at the top of Whitney. And I come up with a very sane score of 95. That may be the highest score we've ever had on the podcast here. Golly gee, look at that. Yeah. Impressive. You're a new record holder. It's not exactly a golden ax, but you know, it's it's up there. Hey, I'll take it. Okay. Very good. Hey, before we get too far down the trail, or maybe it should be, you know, too far up the up the mountain in this case, uh, let's stop. Let's back up a little bit. And I'd love to hear your background, kind of where you grew up, if you were involved in it, what, what kind of sports and hobbies you were involved in growing up. And was outdoor adventure, was that part of your family life? Did your family take you out and do those kinds of activities when you were growing up? So let's let's hear your origin story. Yeah, let's see. So um, I was actually born overseas. So I was born down in New Zealand. Um, my folks were expats down there at the time. And uh, and then do you have dual citizenship? I do. Yeah. Um, so you're a Kiwi and, as well? Kiwi yeah. and, a, and a Yank? I'm a Kiwi and a Yank, indeed. All right. Um, totally. Uh, so let's see. So yeah, so born down there, then moved up to the States, uh, to the Pacific Northwest in the Seattle area when I was, I don't know, like four. Um and my so my folks are not uh my folks are like adventurous people but they're actually from the midwest so they they didn't like like mountains and things like that weren't really part of their lifestyle necessarily um but moving to the northwest um you know they kind of started to dabble in hiking and things like that um you know there's so much that's accessible from seattle and and then i ended up being one of the kids on the ski school bus you know, the mogul might, and then, uh, and then, you know, kind of grew up and like took more lessons and actually became a ski and snowboard instructor in in high school. And at some, at some point, um, in early high school, I, you know, I came to the realization that we were like hiking to the top of these, you know, steep, steep ski and snowboard lines and, uh, kind of realized that I was like pretty into going up and, um, and that really transpired into, by the time I was 18 years old, I was, I had actually like pretty much given up sliding down and was pretty hellbent on, on climbing. And, and at that point I moved back to New Zealand for university. And since it was, since it's a socialized country and, um, 
you know, uh, I have a citizenship. It was really, really cheap to go to school down there mm-hmm. and, um, went down there and studied hydroglaciology. So how water flows over through and under glaciers. And then, uh, and then went climbing as much as I could. And the Southern, Southern Alps of our, of New Zealand, um, on the South Island are kind of like a mini Himalaya. There are huge glaciers, these big walls. They're like these badass mountains. And, uh, and so I was able to really just spend a lot of my time uh, cutting my teeth in those mountains and really learning how to deal with, you know, a pretty rugged alpine environment. And uh, by the time I was what, like 21 and graduated from school, um, I was climbing some of the harder routes in the country. And at that point started going on expeditions and started like figuring out how to pay for trips and would just kind of work, work whatever jobs I needed to, to pay for them. And, uh, and then started going to Alaska, started going to, uh, some of the, some of the big mountains of Asia and started going to Patagonia. And, and then, and then after a couple of years of that, I realized that I really needed to improve my like specific climbing abilities. So I, so I spent a couple of years, like mostly big wall climbing and going ice climbing and rock climbing and, uh, and big wall climbing is like El Cap and stuff like that. And so I did a bunch of that. And then, and then went back to the mountains and um, and started started really climbing the things that I wanted to climb. Started really being able to get up some some big steep unclimbed walls in Alaska and in other parts of the world. And uh, and that was that was really kind of when I like that's kind of when I saw it, when I saw that I was like capable of doing these things that I really wanted to. And that's it's it's, it's been a progression that I've been pursuing ever since. Is uh you know since I think that first like big success was in like 2010 and. Um, and I think since then, um, you know, I, I think I've been on an expedition at least one every year for the last 15 years. Um, and a bunch of years I've been on more like three or four. Um, so that's, it's just kind of been like, it's been this thing that I have just totally fallen in love with and has really, has really filled my cup. Um, and it's, and it's worth noting that it's taught me you know, a lot more than just like about climbing, um, you know, climbing for me has been this thing that's taught me about partnership. It's taught me about trying hard. It's taught me about dedication and it's given me a lot of tools for, you know, work outside of climbing because like, while these days I'm a professional, you know, alpinist, I've always maintained work outside of climbing. It's kind of, you know, it's like, you're going to like get real, like being a pro alpinist isn't something that's going to like carry me into retirement age. <laughs> and I certainly don't make enough from it that I like, will you know, be able to like retire at 30 or something. Um, so, so, you know, I've always, I worked as a geophysicist for a long time. Uh, and then I ran a film production company for a long time. And I recently sold that and started working at Protect Our Winners on climate policy, which is kind of, the biggest project I have these days is jamming on that, which is pretty sweet. Okay. And I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, we covered a lot of ground right there. And I, I have some questions. I have some follow-up questions. Get it. So, so I am intrigued by this notion that you were a ski slash snowboard instructor and you were, you were climbing up and uh, then, then skiing down, obviously. And at some point, the, the, flip, the, the switch flipped for you and you found that you enjoyed going up more than going down. And, you know, going up is much harder than going down, right? I mean, going down should be, you know, if you know how to ski, if you know how to snowboard, it's a, a, an easy thing to do. Um, you certainly burn more calories and exert yourself more going up. And so what is you choosing that, that harder uh, direction? What does that say about you as a, as a person, as an, as an individual? You know, it's, this is a funny thing and it, it's like, it's, it's something that kind of makes me giggle because, uh, you know, I feel ultra fortunate that I discovered something that I am so dedicated towards something that like, that gets me so fired up and has taken me so many places and taught me so many things to have yeah, your passion. Have, your passion is easily seen as you were, as you're talking about this, dude. I mean, I love it. It's like, it's so, it's such, it's such a, it's something that, that makes me really happy. And, um, and so I feel really fortunate that I found something like that. Um, that's something that I wish for everybody to do. Um, the fact that it's like hacking up steep hills is kind of hilarious because, you know, it is like, it, like you said, like skiing down tends to be a lot more fun, but, uh, but the pacing of climbing, the challenge of climbing, the, uh, the like logistics and the places where it can take you, it's pretty, it's pretty unreal. I mean, there is, I've, I've not found anything else like 
hanging off some, you know, 10,000 foot wall in the Pakistani Karakoram. It's like pretty badass. And, uh, and so that's, you know, so I've just been, just been chasing, chasing that dream for a bunch of years. And it's been, it's been pretty, pretty wonderful. It sounds like a lot has worked out for you. I think so. I mean, and there have definitely been a lot of bumps along the way, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like figuring out how to pay for stuff, injuries, like, I mean, for sure, like it's been a, been a real privilege to be able to like pursue all this stuff. Um, but it, it only feels like just in the last few years, I've really figured out how to balance it properly, which has kind of been the more recent project of like, I'm married these days, you know, we have a house and a dog and it's like, how do and, you know, it's like going to the big mountains for three months while also managing those things it takes a lot of work. So, um, which is like, it only feels like it's just coming together. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of the great things about this sport is like, just keeps teaching me stuff. It keeps challenging me, whether it's in the mountains or outside of them. Right. Now you mentioned you went, you went to New Zealand for your college education, and then you also started kind of, uh, climbing more out there. And, uh, you kind of said you cut your teeth out there. Was there, was there formal training involved there? I mean, did you, did you, uh, sign up with a group that kind of went through the basics and how to do this or are you, are you self-taught? Uh, that's a great question. So, uh, actually in the later, later years of high school, I did do like a 12 day course, uh, in the, in the North Cascades. And that was, you know, that was as much as anything to learn about like rescue technique and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I, I really do, um, think that some professional training in mountain sports, particularly like technical alpinism is something that's really important because, you know, there are systems that keep you safe and there are systems that will allow you to get out of a pickle if something goes wrong but you got to know them. Otherwise you can get up there and just be totally hosed. So, um, so those are really important. And then, and then I, I spent a lot of time, well, not a lot of time. I spent a few years on the, uh, on the Yosemite search and rescue team as well, which is a very like technical rescue team in Yosemite. That's how I mm-hmm. paid for some, paid for some expeditions in the late, late aughts. Um, and the so that was aughts. the late aughts. Um, totally. um, <laughs> so that was, you know, and, and we really like, technical proficiency was a big part of the programming there. Like, you know, it's like, if you're rescuing people off of El Cap and stuff like that, you got to know what the hell you're doing with the rope. So um, that's like, so those are all skills that have been really, really helpful for me in terms of like getting out of hard places in the mountains or getting down out of storms and that kind of thing. Okay. I'm learning all kinds of things here that weren't in our, in our outline, but I want to, I want to, I want to ask these side questions if you don't mind. Uh, search fun. and rescue, search and rescue team in Yosemite. Do you have a, a favorite rescue story? Um, yeah, I do. I mean, to be honest, in search and rescue, a lot of times like things don't end well. Um, and we had, and my favorite rescue I was on, there was a couple who was out hiking and they got lost and they've been gone for like two and a half days. And when people have gone there for that long, it's like, you're probably not going to find them alive. And, uh, and there, and there they were like, you know, wicked hungry, hanging out on, hanging out like in a, um, on a little Island in a, in a small stream. So they were able to get away from the canopy and be viewed from, uh, from a like aerial search. And then we were able to go in and nab them. And, uh, and yeah, man, it's like, search and rescue is something where you deal with a lot of things that are really challenging. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of aftermath of accidents and that stuff's awful. Um, and so having, having one where it's like, they were just fine. It was like, we were just able to give them a cliff bar and hike them out of there and take them to dinner. And, uh, and that's like, when it comes to rescue scenarios, that is the outcome that you're looking for. So that was like, or that one just being like, Oh, thank goodness. Like finally, like just found them and they're in one piece and they're happy and all they need is a meal. That's right. Successful, not messy. And uh, you got them out of there. So that's, that's great. And also you, you kind of stumbled right across a pro tip there, potential pro tip that if you're lost in the wilderness, you want to get out from underneath the canopy and be somewhere where you could be seen from the air. Yeah. Visible. Yep. Okay. Totally. You also mentioned earlier um, that there's been some transferability of the skills and philosophy and outlook on life that you have picked up in climbing to uh, your non-climbing life. What, what, what are some of those skills that, that transfer? Well, yeah, man, that's a great question. I mean, in terms of like, um, you know, if we're going to talk about partnership, um, you know, it's like when you're on the mountain, like you have to work with somebody and oftentimes under duress. And, uh, and that's something that, you know, like for relationships that I'm in, whether it's romantic partnerships, like my relationship with my wife, uh, business partnerships, 
that kind of thing. It's like, um, man, you gotta like, uh, like you gotta, you gotta operate under duress sometimes. Like sometimes things are stressful. Sometimes things aren't perfect. And, uh, and climbing is like climbing oftentimes takes that and really exacerbates it. Right. It makes it like kind of extreme, particularly when you're like tied at the side of a mountain, the storm's blowing in or whatever. And so it's, you know, it's like understanding yourself when you're operating in a challenging situation, understanding, uh, understanding others, understanding how, you know, it's like how you react to others under like reading others and that kind of thing mm-hmm. can be really, can be really helpful. And, and, and then, you know, it's, and then, in, and then in climbing, you know, I've tried, tried harder on, you know, in the mountains than I have really anywhere else from like a physical and mental standpoint, just like, just trying really hard to get to the top of something. And, you know, you take that into, um, your ability, you know, to like deal with hard shit at work or that kind of thing. It's pretty mm-hmm. helpful. You know, it's like when there's a big project at work and you're like, Oh my God, you know, like, uh, you know, how am I going to get through this or how are we going to figure this out or how are we going to bring this in under budget or whatever? It makes it so that like, you know, it's like, cool. You know, I, I kind of know how to remain calm and like yeah. collected when, when Mentally, you go back to case case six West and say, oh, I, I can do that. If I did that, I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah, totally. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now is your wife a climber as well? She's not. Um, no, she's, we, you can do a whole podcast about her. She's way cooler than I am. She's like a two-time world champion, ultimate Frisbee player turned uh, like corporate badass. So she's like, she's, yeah, she's, she's, she's great. I mean, the running joke in the house is that she has two world championships and I've just got one. So she's doing better than I am. Um, and she <laughs> retired in like 2014. So, uh, so yeah, so uh, she does not climb. She will like she'll sometimes go to the climbing gym just for fitness or whatever. But um, these days, mostly mostly we ride bikes together, which is real real fun. Um, but climbing is just my thing. Got it. Now, GZ, you have to talk me up to her so that we can do a follow up episode with her and, and talk about her her world championships. Dude, yeah, it's good shit. Okay, nice. Now uh, you also seem to me to be a logistics guy. I think if you're doing expeditions, if you sign on to expeditions, there's a lot of planning and preparation ahead of time. You just don't go out there and, and freewheel it and say, hey, just hope for the best. It's all going to work out. There's a lot of planning that goes goes through with this. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a really important component because I mean, particularly if you're like going on a three-month expedition to Pakistan, it's like when you arrive in Pakistan, you're not, you know, if you forget like a rope or a harness or something like that, like you're not going to replace it in country. Um so you got to really make sure your ducks are in a row. Um, and, you know, like right now, like I leave on a leave for a trip to Alaska in about two and a half weeks. And it's like, man, that's like, I've got the garage is just kind of like all the stuff's laid out so I can go put her around out there and make sure everything's there and make sure, you know, make sure I didn't forget anything. And, you know, and then they're like the kind of primary components that you like need, but then there's all the kind of nice to have stuff that, uh, that makes it better, easier, whatever. And so it's just kind of just making sure it's all there. And, um, and uh, yeah, it's like, you know, um, logistics are, are really important. And then as you start looking at the greater ranges, there's this really interesting component to when you're looking for things that haven't been climbed before, you're oftentimes looking for things that are kind of adjacent to conflict zones from on a geopolitical standpoint. So like a lot of the like best climbing that's like best first descents that are available in Pakistan right now are actually pretty close to the Indian border because a lot of that's been closed for a long time. So instead of, um, you know, like, uh, being in a position where you're kind of going back to the zones that everybody goes, you're kind of like trying to like push the boundaries a little bit and like see if you can get into zones that have been closed for a while. And, and uh, that's, I have a climbing partner, Steve Swanson, who's like been very successful with that for a long time. He's a lot older than I am. He's in the sixties, but, um, but yeah, it's like, it's kind of this like logistics component where you're like tracking the, you know, tracking the foreign affairs, what's going on. And then you have like, you know, you kind of working on developing contacts with the local military and the ISI and then the local politicians to kind of understand like if things are safe and if they might be able to get in there and then like, and then one of the, you know, and then you go try, but it's like, you know, it's kind of the thing where you actually can't try that much because then you get flagged and as like somebody who wants to be close to the border. So it's kind of this, like, it's this, it's this really interesting game of, of very, uh, it sounds like a very delicate dance. Yeah, it totally. It's, and it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's so cool to have this like direct relationship with, uh, like, you know, international foreign affairs. Um, it's a whole nother makes- layer. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. And then like in 2019, we were like, 
right up against the border with India in a, in a fully militarized zone, like next to an army camp. And it was, you know, we were there for the summer and it was like pretty wild, just kind of kicking it with these soldiers for the summer. And they were great. And it was like this amazing cultural experience spending time with these guys. And they also thought we were absolutely bananas trying to climb this peak at the base camp. <laughs> so if you, if you, if you were perceived as crazier than the soldiers, then you probably come out on the, you know, the, the better, the better result of there. So, yeah, I mean, we all, we all managed to find some common ground, you know, nice. Nice. You know, it reminds me, it reminds me of Tommy Caldwell when he was 18 and he was uh, climbing somewhere. Was it Pakistan or was it like uh, Kazakhstan or somewhere South, out there? And, and he was, Kyrgyzstan. yeah. Yeah. And he was, he was taken hostage and that was, that's an incredible story in itself right there. So some yeah, of the best great. climbing is, is you're right, right in the middle of uh, some difficult geopolitical situations. Dude, totally. Yeah. That, that, uh, that situation they had in Southwest Kyrgyzstan was pretty awful. That was like mm-hmm. those bad stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Now you mentioned Yosemite, uh, before we go to break real quick, uh, what's your favorite climb in Yosemite, big wall climb? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, if you're talking about big wall climbs in Yosemite, you gotta like the nose is classic. It's not particularly hard. It's not like, you know, it gets done all the time, but man, it is very good. And that's like, that's that kind of that central pillar feature mm-hmm. coming down the, the front of El Cap. And it's like, pretty wicked it's like starts starts as a slab and then goes vertical and then goes overhanging at the top it's like and uh it's it's this cool route that is not only beautiful to look at but the climbing on it is also incredible so it's it's uh yeah that, that would have to be the choice nice and they, they once said that el capitan was uh, unclimbable that nobody would ever climb it until i don't know if you, i'm sure that you have seen valley uprising they talk yeah. about the history of climbing in Yosemite and someone finally did it in 18 months. It took them 18 months. They go up and they come down, yep. they go up, come down, supplies. Are, and then once, once it was done, once it was accomplished, once people realized it was possible, then the time frame to complete it got shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter until you've got uh, Alex Honnold going up in you know three hours with, with no gear. Right. So totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, somebody probably once said the PCT was impossible as well though. So that's right. So it's all about finding boundaries, pushing them. Okay. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear some, uh, from some stories from the mountains from GZ. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. From the back country to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. 
Welcome back. We were talking to GZ, also known as Graham Zimmerman, uh, alpinist, about some of his adventures and background. And, you know, I mentioned it early on. I referred to it. I think I called it the Golden Axe. It's actually the Golden Ice Axe. Uh, In French, it's the Piolet d'Or. Did I I come close on that? As close as I'm going to get. Okay, perfect. Perfect. And (laughs) this is this is an annual mountaineering award. It's considered mountaineering's highest honor. Think of it as the Oscars of mountaineering and climbing. And in 2014, you were a top five finalist. And in 2020, you were the recipient. You won it. They gave us the golden ice axe. Yep. Congratulations. That's that is really impressive. Hey, thanks, Migo. It's like, you know, in climbing, like accolades are like, you know, that we don't the climbing is not a competition, at least the type of climbing I participate in get do you like get a competitive mindset you're probably just going to get killed but uh but the uh but the accolades and the kudos are really fun um and uh and they certainly make my mother proud which is great <laughs> you gotta make mom proud excellent yeah. now what what in the world did you do in 2020 that uh got you the golden ice axe so uh, it was actually in 2019 um they give it they award it the year after so in 2019 we made the first descent of a peak called linksar which is a was an unclimbed 23,000 foot peak in the Pakistani Karakoram. And uh, this is cool. I've been, I think it'd been tried like nine times by a bunch of very talented parties. And uh, we had tried it once before in 2017. And, you know, it was, uh, it was a pretty, it was a pretty amazing climb. It's like the peak itself is, is huge. It's very steep. It's very steep on all sides. It's kind of like it's one of those peaks. It's like, there's no easy way up. And uh and it's, it's really like, it's just that classic, like pointy peak. If you were like to ask a kid to draw a mountain, like a steep mountain, that's what they mm-hmm. would draw. And, uh, and then the climb itself was, was really cool. I mean, it took two full expeditions to actually get the thing done. Um, in the end, it, it was a nine, nine day climb, uh, up and down. So I think six days up and three days down. Um, and it really like it took we had a we had a four man team on it. We climbed in what they refer to as alpine style. So like very like by fair means, just kind of the ropes tied between us heading up the hill and it had some very technical climbing and had some very hard climbing, that's some really steep climbing. Um, it has some really interesting, like uh strategic kind of challenges in terms of like how to get through different sections or when to climb different sections, depending on like sun exposure and things like that. And it was cool because we were you know, we like put in a lot of effort to make sure that we could climb this very intense peak safely. And we were able to execute on that. So that was like, you know, that feels really good. Like, um, there was, there was one kind of incident near the top where, where I was, was hit by an avalanche and took, took fall. But, but even like, you know, I walked away from that, which was awesome. But, um, even if, even if I had, you know, hurt myself, we had, we had like so much experience on the team in terms of, rescues and for you know first aid medical stuff that it's like it would have been fine so um, it would have been a different story of course but uh but um yeah it was like we really we really put in a lot of effort to like keep it reeled in so that we could feel good about what we were doing versus you know climbing it's it can be kind of tempting to like push over the edge and like do things that are that are kind of out there but it's like you know that's not how you become an old climber so um so yeah so it's, it was it was a really it was a really cool trip and I, I just know from my own experience being on top of Whitney at 14.5 that uh, decision-making is not – decision-making at, at sea level is not the same as decision-making, in your case, at 23,000 feet. And so you're right, being cautious, making the right decisions, uh, living to be an old climber, very important. But it's, it's uh, processing time, I have to imagine, a little bit slower up there. Yeah. I mean, that's why experience is so important because then you get a lot of habit and habit, you know, you process habit differently. So if you're up there, like making fresh decisions based on like all new information and new things, then it would be, it would be really hard, but it's, that's, that's where like, you know, whatever, 10 or 20 years of experience come into play and 10, 10 to 20 years of like, not only climbing, but also like paying attention. And that's really, that's really the, that's kind of the key component that, uh, that makes it all work out. It's like really like paying attention so that when you, when you see things, you know, you start to see things that repeat, you start to like repeat methodologies. You start to, mm-hmm. you know, you're constantly having to make decisions based on new information, but um, the more like, you know, past information you have, the better the decisions you can make going forward. Right. And GZ, what do you think you did differently in 2019 differently than those other nine expeditions that allowed you to get to the top? Um, 
you know, there were some kind of like logistics things and stuff like that that we were able to improve. We did add a, add a fourth partner as well. Um, it was like great to have Mark Ritchie along. The biggest thing, honestly, though, like was in 2017, the weather was awful. We spent we basically spent uh, three months sitting in a storm, um, which happens sometimes. And that's kind of like that's just part of the deal. But, um, you know, it's like you show up and you're ready to rage and like go and you know burn a bunch of calories. And then you just end up sitting and eating doll bot and base camp for a long time, which for what it's worth, like has a lot of value. I love sitting in base camp and it's like, there's no phone. There's no, you know, you just, there's no like internet. There's no inbox. You're just like banging along. But, um, but yeah, it was like, you know, spending a whole trip and not getting on top of anything is also kind of challenging. Well, again, <laughs> congratulations for that. That's quite an accomplishment. Hey, thanks, Migo. I appreciate it. Hey, would you mind sharing some, some stories from Alaska? Something, uh, uh, anything, anything you can tell us about uh, your Mount Lawrence uh, ascent? Yeah, well, let's see. So Mount Lawrence is the, that's the peak we were nominated for. I'm like, whatever, top five or, you know, all that in 2014. Then it was mm-hmm. like, it's cool. They actually like sent us over to send us over for the ceremony and everything. And then we didn't get it in the end, but we still got the free trip to nominated. So that was cool. Um, <laughs> um, and that was, that was a neat trip because that, there was like this whole zone kind of adjacent to um, Denali. Uh, Denali is like the, 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 the moderate route that everybody climbs on Denali is called the West, uh, the West buttress. And that's on the Cahilton Glacier. And then right next door to the Cahilton Glacier is this other glacier called the Lacuna. And the Lacuna is like pretty hard to get to. You can't like land a plane on it. Uh, You know, it's like two days of walking to get there kind of from any direction. And, you know, remembering that like these Alaskan glaciers are huge. And, And, and my buddy Mark and I kind of, spied from some some aerial photography some really amazing looking peaks in this area and so we took our first trip in there in 2011 which was a which was a great great trip um and uh and we had yeah we had a really really good climb in there and then uh and then in 2000 2014 we went in and made the actually i think we maybe i think maybe they gave us the pla or that we like nominated us for the pla in 14 and we actually did the route in 13 gosh this is working me working on my memory i don't i don't remember but um Altitude uh, like in, in there you would like the details go look like in the american alpine journal or something that's where the there real you go. um but uh but we went so we, we skied into this like amazing zone it took like two days to ski to this base camp and there's this massive very steep mountain face there and uh it took us like took us three attempts to get up it um you know running into either danger climbing that was, was too dangerous or too hard and um and in the end uh we're able to make the first descent of of this wall and it was like it was just like such a cool adventure to instead of like oftentimes in alaska you kind of fly in throw all your stuff out of the plane and they're just kind of there at base camp and uh instead we had like had a trek way back there and we're back in the zone where nobody had really been before climbing this unreal objective and um it was really special it was really cool any moments where you you thought to yourself uh, what have i gotten myself into up here that trip was pretty reeled in um you know i mean we, we did some really hard climbing um and there was some you know some scary climbing and stuff like that but i don't know it's also a lot younger then so i don't know if i like my prefrontal cortex was totally dialed in but uh but I, you know i don't remember any like oh man like the, you know it's gone bad uh it was more like it was more just a lot of try hard a lot of like you know some cold bivouacs some hard climbing and then some like the, the final snow ridge was like this wild kind of like cornice thing that took forever um so yeah so no nothing that was like that far out um like on the danger scale but um but just a lot of a lot of really pushing ourselves physically nice and and switching from the mountains to big wall uh, do you have uh, maybe top top three moments on a portal edge? <laughs> you know, uh, this is funny. Like people always think of sleeping on. They, people always think of like transporting from like where I am right now to a portal edge, and that would be pretty. Um, that'd be pretty mentally stimulating. Um, but the thing is that like you have to remember that like when you when you get onto a portal edge, you've been hanging off the wall all day, and so when you actually go from like being in your harness and working your ass off, and then you and then you uh, like the exposure goes away because you're on the ledge and you're able to like lay down and you're able to kind of kick it and chill and eat food. Um, you know, you're pretty, you're feeling pretty good at that point. Um, so it's, 
So really like, you know, being on a portal edge is always like wall camping is the coolest thing to do. I think it's like, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, people think of it like, it's like, Oh my God, I can't believe you can sleep up there, but it's pretty easy to sleep. Also you've been working hard. So you're tired. Yeah. You gotta be exhausted at that point. So. Oh, totally. Totally. All right. Hey, GZ, tell us about, uh, tell us about this thing, uh, protect our winters An imperfect advocate, protect our winters. What's that all about? Yeah. So, so protect our winters is an organization that started back in 2007 by a, a, a pro snowboarder named Jeremy Jones. And I'll tell you what, man, it's like, it is, uh, the most important work that I do these days. So I, um, so I, uh, so these, so for, for years I was on the, just kind of like their general athlete Alliance. And then I was the captain of their climb team. And now I'm actually on staff managing their, their ambassador program or their Alliance program. And, um, the whole, like the whole goal of POW is to enable, um, professional athletes to utilize their stories from the mountains to push climate policy and to do so like not in like a super, like super far left, like hyper progressive way, instead to really look for like, like real solutions that run down the middle of the aisle and allow us to work on, you know, something that's, that brings jobs to the table, that brings energy security to the table that, and then at the same time, like allows us to continue to do the things that we love. Um, so that's like, that's really turned into a lot of what I do. And it's this, been this thing that's allowed me the well, I mean, to use these stories from the big mountains, not just to like sell jackets or get people stoked to go like rage in the hills. Instead, it's like we're able to utilize them to like drive climate policy and talk to folks about like the things that we've seen in order to like to activate new advocates from within our community. And uh, and sometimes that means like going to D.C. and lobbying with representatives and senators. And other times that means just working with our local communities to encourage them to, you know, vote, call their reps and and uh you know get involved and uh man it's like it's pretty powerful because you have a lot of you have a lot of these climbers you have always like pro skiers and pro pro runners and pro bikers and um and folks who are pro snowboarders can't forget them um uh folks you know folks who know how to try hard know how to do hard things are really good at telling stories and then and also have an audience and uh and to get them activated on something like talking about climate is a really it tends to be pretty productive so that's like that's something that's really had me fired up recently Great. And there's a, there's a lot of scary headlines in the newspapers these days. Um, how, how long before it's too late to make a difference? Um, man, I mean, it's a hard question to answer is like, what is mm-hmm. too late? I mean, we've got the IPP, IPCC is saying we've got 30 years of change baked into the cake already. Um, so I think that the, I think that the, the thing is like, if we're asking the question of, you know, Oh gosh, when do we start working on this? Like the answer is, is yesterday. And that means that we need to do it now. Um, and so, so while like, you know, we could sit here and we could spend all day worrying about, you know, how am I going to pay the bills? We could sit here all day worrying about like, you know, how, what am I going to make for dinner? But if like, don't actually do it, then nothing will happen. And so that's really what the climate conversation is all about. There's a lot of talk. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of worry. Um, and man, we got to, we got to, we got to kind of get on it and, like build more action into the system. Otherwise, otherwise it's going to be, you know, it's gonna be challenging. Well said, well said. Hey, let's move, let's move to another topic here. Tell me about 10 cup whiskey. Oh, Hey, those, uh, those guys and gals have been supporting my climate for a little while now. And, uh, I gotta say, it's pretty fun to have a whiskey sponsor. Um, they, you know, I don't, I don't drink that much. Um, but, uh, you know, when when I when I do I drink tin cup. Um, nice nice and, promo right there. And and, <laughs> and I, I yeah, totally. And I'll tell you what the the thing that really gets me stoked. I mean the things that like you know the brands that I work with, um, like they have to make like the best equipment, right? That's just kind of part of the deal. Um, like I can't go climbing with stuff that doesn't work. Um, but the thing that you know, but but there are a lot of companies that make pretty good equipment. There's a lot of you know there are a lot of great Gore-Tex jackets out there. There are a lot of great um, you know, whatever, uh, ice, like carabiners and stuff like that. But, um, and, and there are a lot of things that will work. Some are better than others, of course. But, uh, but the thing that really like, besides like needing the best kit for a particular task, the thing that gets me that I, that I really consider the most important is that their values as an organization are really in line with my own, uh, particularly around 
climate policy and social equity. Those are like the two big things that I'm jamming on these days. And so, um, and so that's uh, my partnership with Tin Cup, like is more about the, our, our like collective work on storytelling and giving people access to the outdoors and talking about social equity and climate than it is about like getting loaded or anything like that. I mean, like sipping whiskey is great, but man, like creating a more equitable society in which we deal with climate change. Now that shit is rad. And that's like, that's, that's what gets me fired up. Mic drop. Nice. Hey, GZ, you know where we are? Where are we? The pro tip insight of the week. That's right. Half calf. It is time for GZ to share a bit of outdoor adventure wisdom for our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. What do you have for us, GZ? Golly G, uh, pro, pro tip. Um, oh, sorry. I'm having to like think through here because I'm trying to think of something that's like good for, for everybody. Um, here we go. So, uh, you know, it's like when you're skiing, when you're hiking, when you're, uh, when you're, when you're, uh, when you're out climbing, like, you know, feet, foot health is a really important thing. Right. And, uh, and I've started utilizing an antiperspirant on my feet, um, like a spray, Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually something similar to what I use in my hands for rock climbing to keep them dry, because it's also really important for like grabbing little holds. Um, but I've started util- utilizing an antiperspirant on my feet. This is particularly from a brand called Rhino Skin. That's actually just up the street from me here. Um, and man, it makes it so that you don't get like sopping wet feet. And that's uh, that's uh, really helpful when you know it's like when your feet get wet and your feet get swollen. Like man, things get uncomfortable, and that's no fun. So. Yeah. I think that's one that's one that works for everybody. That's right. The old adage uh, from through hiking, if the feet aren't happy, the hiker isn't happy. That transfers to climbing as well. So well said. Oh, man, that's like that's true everywhere. <laughs> okay. So there you have it. That's it. This episode just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Graham. I want to thank him for joining us this week. GZ, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Uh, great question. Uh, generally, just uh, at Graham Zimmerman on uh on Instagram. I keep it pretty simple these days. That's where I talk about policy. That's where I talk about uh, climbing. That's where I share what's getting me fired up and would love to have you along. Okay. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamere at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. Graham, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, some kind of media to keep our listeners connected to, to the outdoors during the, the off-season or even during the season. So uh, we call this our Adventure Media Recommendation. What do you have for us? Golly, uh, let's see. I read I read a lot. And uh, the thing that I've read, I, I read it years ago, and then I've reread it a couple of times recently, um, is a book called Barbarian Days by William Finnegan. And it's a surfing memoir. And it's like, man, it's a, uh, it is some high quality reading. It's like some of the best storytelling that I've, that I've engaged with. And I would, it's, it's surfing and I would highly recommend it. Nice. Here we are a, a traditionally uh, hiking podcast, talking to an alpinist who's recommending a surfing uh, adventure media recommendation. So that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, good, we're, good hitting, we're hitting all the buttons. Good storytelling is good storytelling. That's the deal. <laughs> that's right. That's right. What have we not asked you? Oh, half calf is really getting wild with her accent there. I'm not sure if, if that's a Kiwi accent or an English accent. She's not sure either. She's <laughs> just, she's just winging it. Uh, before we wrap things up, I've got one more segment for you, for you called, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? Um, gosh, what is the, what is the last thing that, that I haven't told you about? Probably my dog. I really like my dog. Um, uh, we've talked about my wife who's cooler than I am. And, uh, and I've got this ridiculous, uh labradoodle named pebble and uh man i like didn't know i wanted a dog we got a dog turns out having a dog is great so uh that's uh that's like she's you know she's our love and joy and uh yeah so that's that's probably the thing you know if you want the, like the you know the real inside scoop it's like pretty you know pretty normal but uh pretty good that's family man nice now is pebble her given name or is that a trail name uh probably both (laughs) (laughs) nice fair fair question all right hey that's a wrap from the john freaking mirror studio any shout outs to friends and family cheesy oh man uh gosh i mean just uh there there are a lot of people that have uh, put up with me through the years so thanks to all of them it's like climbing climbing takes a village so 
they know who they are and i i love them all okay well thank you for tuning in always remember the trail is the trail it doesn't care if you want to go downhill it doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite it doesn't even care if you've had to dodge an avalanche on the way to a first ascent of link sar the trail is the trail embrace the sock <laughs> Thank you.